Uh, we've been going through this whole uh, list of um, Bible topics, knowledge, character, Bible, teacher, and this morning we're going to see how education is not just something that will happen while you're in college, something that will happen just in this life, but how education is an experience that will transcend into eternity as well. And some of us are like going, oh, what? We're going to have school buses in heaven? Oh, no. No, not, not that kind of education. We've been going through this exercise of comparing uh, two things that sound alike, yellow on the outside, white on the inside, and very sweet, and trying to use this as a metaphor to compare education versus true education. The Twinkie is supposed to symbolize, I guess they did not transfer correctly, PowerPoint. If you have eagle eyes, I'm going to have to put my glasses to tell you what that says. <laughs> Those are not dots. They're actually words. And I will make sure that this never happens again. All of these little dots over here says God. Okay? God, 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 God. Oh, there you go. That's the touch screen for you. And then you have math, English, history, and science. Twinkie is any subject in which God has been filtered out. We can't filter God out of education. He is active in human history. Prophecy shows us that. He is the one that plays the laws into the elements through which chemistry informs us. Chemistry is understanding the elements and the laws God has placed there. Same thing with biology. Same thing with psychology, that the mind any subject that filters God out filters out the author and originator of what we're studying. That's like trying to study Charles Dickens and ignoring Charles Dickens. That's like trying to study Abraham Lincoln and leaving Abraham Lincoln out of the textbook. Could, does that make sense? And so education, secular education, does that. And we should not be surprised and we should not try to enforce um, public education to be Christian education. The education that our children should receive, especially throughout the first development years, uh, from, from zero to seven, eight, nine, ten, when their minds are most impressionable, everything that they learn should have God at the center, which is the banana. The banana is yellow on the outside, white on the inside, and sweet, but it has nutrition, something a Twinkie does not have, despite my arguments with my parents. It does not give you the same nourishment as a banana will. And my, my brothers, my dear sisters, I have to tell you emphatically, a public education will inform your children with information, but will leave out the capacity to be moral and ethical with that information. That is how we are able to have judges that sell themselves to politicians and politicians that sell themselves to corporations. I stay in touch with some of my friends from nursing school, and they're telling me the pressure that the hospital exerts on them when a patient falls to write down, no, they slipped, because that will give us a bad rating, and the, the lower our ratings, the less reimbursement we can collect from the insurance companies. So nurses are forced to lie in their charting, and these are informed, educated individuals, individuals that have excelled in the, in the sciences, in the biologies, and the chemistries, but it has done nothing for their ability to be, have integrity and ethic in how they use that information. Does that make sense? To leave God out of education does our children disservice. It actually puts information into their 
power into their capacities without the ability to use it in a righteous, holy way. Christian education places God at the center, and it offers our children the opportunity to do so. Furthermore, the eraser, I mean, the song. What would be a pencil without the eraser? You couldn't learn. We need to learn by trial and error, and God knows we get things wrong. Have you gotten things wrong in your life? Have you made decisions that you wish would have been different? Do you wish there was an eraser for your life? God has one. It's called his grace, his forgiveness. When we provide education for our children without God, we leave that one element that makes education useful, practical, and applicable. Romans 5.20 tells us that where sin abounded, grace much more abound, which means that you cannot out-sin the grace of God. There's no one that has been evil enough that God cannot forgive, that cannot find grace in God. Now, we've looked at the ladder of humility, how everything I know compared to what God knows, there's an infinite chasm uh, between us. And I ask you the question, and I'll see if you get the answer. Can you and I know what God knows? Can you and I know what God knows? Can we know the information that is contained in his mind? Our brains would explode, right? There's not enough neurons to capture everything inside the mind of God. That is precisely the temptation of the garden, to know something God knows. Satan tempted us to try to be like God, to know what, what he knows. Though I cannot know what God knows in, the, in Genesis chapter 3, we see humanity trying to with the, the trio of knowledge of good and evil. But though we cannot know what God knows, the whole message of the Bible centers on that though we cannot know that information, that infinitely beyond this information, we can know who God is. That is the heart of the gospel. You can come to know this God because he has made himself small enough, understandable enough. God became flesh. And God interacted with human beings and inspired human beings to write 66 books so that you and I can have the awesome privilege of knowing who God is. Now, ask my little girl, Gianna. She called me this morning. I thought it was my wife. She doesn't have a cell phone yet. She's four years old. Praise the Lord. I thought it was my wife. So I answered, hi, honey. And I heard from the other end, hola, papi. Te amo. Te extraño. Oh. I love you. I miss you. Happy Sabbath. Now you ask my little girl, who's your daddy? She'll smile real big, and she'll say, Ariel. And if you ask her, do you know your daddy? She'll say, yes, I do. My little girl knows me. Does my little girl know what I know? Does my little girl know me? Why? Because I made myself understandable to her. God is making himself understandable to you. That is the foundation of true education.
your greatest accomplishment will not be getting higher education, higher education and promotions and certifications ad nauseum. Your highest achievement will be for you to say what my little girl says about me. I know God. That is not a boastful statement. I know him. Paul said it. Job said it. Job said it in the middle of a storm. I know that my Redeemer lives. And though this flesh will rot away, I know that I'll see him resurrected in the future. I know him so much that even if he slays me, I will trust in him. That's how much I know God. Is it important to know who God is? It is imperative. Salvation, your salvation hinges upon you knowing God. Read John 17, verse 3. Jesus said it plainly. This is eternal life that they may know you. That they may know you, that you are the true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is encapsulated throughout the scriptures in Ephesians 3.19. We are called, we are invited to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That doesn't mean that we will never be able to say, I know it. My little girl knows me. She's four. When she's ten... She will tell you, I know my dad. Now, what she knows at four, how will that compare to what she knows at ten? Will there be a difference? Yes. Right now, she knows daddy loves pizza and snores. He loves to tickle her. But at ten years old, she will know that daddy is intelligent, that he's very handsome, that he's all these things, right? <laughs> and that daddy filters all boys from my phone calls. There, there has to be an app for that. <laughs> Noboys.com. My little girl will know me at 10 in different ways than four. And when she's 30, if Jesus has not come yet, she will know me differently when she has her own children. Will she not? Has not that been your experience? Your knowledge of your parents is present, you know them, but also developing. You know them now differently than what you did before, correct? And once you have children, we go through that cycle, right? Man, mom and dad were so right. Man, I wish I could do things over with them. It's the same with God. We can know that love that passes knowledge, which means that as a Christian, you will never get bored. You will always have more to learn about God. And that knowledge will come through the study of his word, his revelation. Education. True education begins with God. If you could zoom it in again and scroll it down. This very interactive sermon this morning. I like it. Education begins with God. God science, God history, God English, God, and it ends with God. God at the beginning, God throughout the process, and God at the end. That is true education. And our children will not receive that in a public school. They will get awesome teachers that will teach them awesome things about chemistry, awesome things about math, awesome things about English, awesome things about history. Yes, they will get that. They will get dedicated teachers that are passionate about teaching but are forbidden to talk and teach your children about God. And that makes that education a Twinkie in the end. To leave God out of knowledge is to provide something that is useless in practical life. God gives you that moral direction. 
It is his word and his Holy Spirit that tells you this is how you should apply this knowledge. This is how, I mean, this whole issue of par Planned Parenthood and trying to figure out the laws so that they could take aborted children's bodies and sell them and mask it as research. Very bright individuals and lawyers have been involved in the process so that unborn children can be exploited. What a way to come into this world. That is an education without God. What we see today, the suffering and the pain, is the fruit of education devoid of God in it, especially in the formative years. As we get older, I mean, people will say, well, didn't God send Daniel into Babylon? Yeah, but not as a five-year-old. Didn't God send Moses into Egypt? Yeah, but he learned a lot of stuff in his mom's. He was homeschooled too, right? So let us not make decisions that will affect our children's for eternity plus this life down here without having first bowed our knees and said, Lord, what would you have us do in our home? Do you want our children in a public school or do you want our children in a Christian school? If you as a parent have done that already and God has providentially and spoken to you directly and that it said it is safe for you to go to a public school where they will leave me out of the education, then you are free to do so. But if you have, as a parent have yet not prayed about this, my friend, my brother, my sister, I invite you this morning to do so. We transitioned last week into teachers. God calls teachers in the same way he calls pastors. It is not a career. And even though they are five days out of the week in our school teaching math, chemistry, etc., a teacher, a Christian teacher, has not chosen that as a career. It is a calling. And it shows. We talked about how God called Abraham to be a teacher. And we know that because in order to be a teacher, you have to be taught first. And if you're going to be including God in math, science, history, all the other stuff, you have to be taught not by a human being, but by God himself. As a pastor, I don't go on Thursday nights or Wednesday nights to GiveMeASermon.com. There are websites, though, by the way, that, that do do that. But you will be able to tell a sermon that I've downloaded that someone else has preached and not one that God has placed in my heart to give to you. Do you know the difference? You'll be able to tell, right? Frozen TV dinner versus mom's home-cooked meal. That's the difference. Well, God, when I spend time with God and God places stuff in my heart, I mean, I am one human being with only one life as a reference point for experiences, and I have to speak, look around you. Look at the ethnicities. Look at the differences of education and backgrounds and, and, and your own journey. And I'm supposed, supposed to speak to each of you somehow? Impossible. Unless God is the one that gives the message. So a teacher is the same way. A Christian teacher cannot just simply say, well, I got A's in math, A's in English, A's in all those stuff, but a zero in her bank account or her, his bank account of God. We cannot teach about God unless we have learned from God. And God in Mount Moriah, Mount Moriah, last Sabbath, we, we explored this new insight, fresh insight for me. Moriah means the Lord is my teacher. That is what that mountain means. The Lord is going to teach me. And what God taught Moses, uh, Abraham, my, my apologies, Abraham, 
and mount the Lord is my teacher is that the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. What shall wash away my sins? Nothing but the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide for what will destroy me. Were it not for grace, where would I be? Traveling down a pointless road with my sins and my salvation left up to me. How successful have you been in trying to solve the entanglement sin has caused in your life? We are as successful in detangling ourselves as a kitten is when they get all tangled up in yarn. It gets worse the more we try to fix it. Were it not for grace, were it not for the God that knows what our need is and provides for it. That is the God that is being presented through Christian education and through the Word of God. The Lord is my teacher. The Lord will provide. I can teach because God has taught me personally. And we're going to close with what we talked about, how education is going to go not just here for the temporary time that we are here on earth, but throughout eternity. In Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, this, this, this I'm going to plaster somewhere in a plaque and send it with my little girl when she goes to college or universities or wherever she goes to get her education. I want her to memorize this as she goes, goes through grade school and high school, but especially as she goes for the higher education, whatever profession she, she decides to pick. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories, if anyone is going to boast, let them boast in this one thing. What is that one thing that a human being can boast? That he or she understands me and that they know me. What good is it to have been part of a law firm or a financial firm because of the education that you have, but you don't know God? Are you going to boast about your wisdom? You already seen that humility ladder. What do you know? How much do you know? Can you boast? When you look at that ladder, can I, can I boast? I mean, what do I know in comparison to all that could be known? So I cannot boast in my wisdom, my intelligence. What about my might? What about my riches? But to know God, to know God is something that I can glory in. Something that I can boast about. Not in a, hey, I know God and you don't. It's not the kind of boasting that it's speaking of. It's the kind of boasting that you see with your children. I've seen it already with my little girl. We are playing soccer, and my little girl is kicking it. She'll put it down, and she's so cute, she does what I do with the tongue. She does that little sticking out thing, that Michael Jordan tongue thing. She'll see the soccer ball, and she'll run, 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 and stop right in front of it. Bang! Kick it as hard as she can, and it will go like five feet, ten feet. And then she'll say, Daddy, it's your turn. 
Let me do some warm-ups, daughter. Get out of the way. Stand back. And then I'll do a Diego Maradona kick. Boom! And my little girl will boast. That's my daddy right there. That's my daddy. He's the strongest man in the whole universe. And no one can kick the ball as far as my daddy. That's the boasting about God. We see suffering. We see tragedies. We experience it ourselves, but we boast about who God is. Illness has come. Our family is struck with something that shatters our confidence, our finances. Whatever the tragedies that all of us are, are prone to experience, and we do experience, our marriages fall apart. I never thought that I would be a divorcee. I never thought I would be the person that someone had an affair on. I mean, I hear this as a pastor. Pastor, I just never thought that my life would turn out this way. I thought my life was going to be different. Well, this passage breaks it down and says, you know, so where's your college degree now? Where are all the accolades that the world has provided for you? What are they doing for your marriage? What are they doing for you? But if you know God, in the midst of the storm, you're boasting about him. In the midst of the tears, you're worshiping him. That's what Job did. Job had sackcloth, had dust on his head. He was weeping. There was heartache. There was heaviness. He was not immune, and he did not pretend to be stoic about it. He experienced the emotional weight that tragedies do bring to us in our experience. But through the midst of that experience, the Bible says that, and he worshipped his God. Worshipping, to a great degree, involves this boasting of him. I know God. Though the outward circumstances, Satan will try to, uh, try to convince me that I've been abandoned, that I've been rejected. For 10 years, Alexis says that she lived at a distance from God. But for 10 years, God was intimately involved in her life, guiding her, protecting her, making sure that one day she would come and hear his voice once again. Though we may walk away from God, God never walks away from us. That's the God that the Bible reveals. Very different than the one that we concoct ourselves. We try to figure out sometimes God from our own personal experiences. And this is important because we have the church, right? You've been baptized into the church. We are church members. And just like education, we oftentimes narrow down what, what it means to be a member of the church of Jesus Christ, a member of the, of the body of Christ. What does that mean? In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, this is the NIV, to try to simplify some of what Paul is saying, it says this, This grace has been given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. What mystery? Well, this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through who? Through the church. And who is the church? The building? The carpet? You. Through you. Through you, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to who? The Puerto Ricans? The Germans? To who? Read it. To the rulers and authorities in 
Who is that? Who does not know yet things about God, but they will know things about God through you and I? Who are them? Who are those authorities and rulers in heavenly places? Anyone? Angels. The Bible speaks about different tiers, different levels. We don't understand. We'll, we'll do when we get there, so it's best to keep silent about it and not say too much. But there are authorities in heaven. There are rulers in heavenly places. And these authorities and rulers who are in the very presence of God, because of this insinuations of Satan, because of Satan's rebellion in heaven, there's something about God that now needs to be known. And God chose broken, wounded, imperfect human beings like you and I, not just to preach the gospel to people that haven't heard people about Jesus in Detroit, but through your life, through how God acts and does things in your life and how you respond to God, that becomes a lesson book to the universe about who God is. You are a textbook to the universe. True education makes you a textbook for the angels to read and study and say, I did not know God was like this. I knew he was loved, but just like my little girl, they're looking at God as a four-year-old, and through us, they can look at God as a ten-year-old. When they see how God treats, how God relates to people that are stubborn, proud, and rebellious towards him, towards people that though they hear loving, tender appeals through his spirit, through sermons, through providence, that was you that just saved me, wasn't it? Thanks. See you later. And we lived like that for years. Ignoring his voice. Rejecting his love. And yet he remains faithful to us. And the day that you and I finally surrender all, all of those years are recorded. And all of those years to the heavenly intelligence, to the heavenly beings, to the angels, they are things that they cannot fully understand about God. But the way God saved you helps them understand God better. Isn't that an amazing thought? You become the textbook. Ariel Esteban Roldán Serpa, volume one, because I was a very stubborn person. Just about 800 volumes of my life. And I'm sure some of you can also boast of multiple volumes. But as they turn the pages, their hearts are moved. Their hearts are moved by how God tirelessly works to soften us, to slow us down. I heard one person say, a chaplain one time say that sometimes the only time we are able, finally able to look up to God is when we are sick in bed. Sometimes God has to allow for things in our lives to slow us down enough to give him a chance to talk to us. 
for us to recognize. We can't live life down here without knowing Him. We can't live life down here without knowing Him. Who is God? This is our last verse for this morning. Luke 15, 20. Luke 15 is a very precious and many people love what is read in, in Luke 15. There's three parables. This is the third one. This parable opens to us a, a great challenge. For many of us, a great challenge. I've told you my story when I was in Bolivia, how I ended up at a drug rehab center for boys, ages six through nine. It's very young to be addicted already. Glue sniffers. 100% of those boys, 100% of them, their father had abandoned their home years before. Over 50% of them didn't even know who their father was. So when I would try to talk to them and they would hear me pray, Father in heaven, they didn't want to talk to whoever was up there called Father. And so God, in the entire Old Testament, showed himself through the life of Noah, Enoch, most notably Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph, and the children of Israel. And throughout the Old Testament, God is continually revealing himself, revealing himself in how he treats his people. But then the New Testament begins with one of the most intimate acts God could do. He himself becomes one of us and comes down here to reveal himself to us. And when he reveals himself to us, to us the words that come out, the, the literal human words that come out of God's mouth, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, are words like this, I have come to seek. I haven't changed. In Genesis chapter 3, I came and sought to seek Adam and Eve while they were hiding from me. And humanity hasn't changed either. I've come to seek and save what was lost. And the two parables before this, don't let this parable teach you everything there is about the journey of Christianity, they teach you little slices. In this parable of the prodigal son, we know it well. That's why I only put this passage here. The younger brother who goes off and spends all his inheritance on prostitutes and all those things, where does he end up, Bible students? Where does that, that prodigal son eventually end up when his credit cards are maxed out and he's in bankruptcy? Where does he end up with? Feeding. Now, because the Bible doesn't have pictures and doesn't have scratch and sniff, we don't get the impact of that story. I told you when I was invited to Broken Bow, Nebraska, it, I think even Google will have a hard time finding Broken Bow. It's so tiny. I was invited to speak at that church, and that Broken Bow town of one gas station and only a stop sign, not even a traffic light, it's a stop sign was next to a huge city or huge area where they had, they raised pigs. And I arrived there Friday, and I was greeted by the family that was going to host me and feed me, and I was going to be sleeping in their couch. And the husband had not arrived yet from work, and the wife lovingly, gently tried to warn me, and she, didn't, she couldn't really get to the point until her husband got home. 
And I, when she heard the husband open the door, all she could say is, Pastor, I'm so sorry. What happened? Woo! It hit me. It was like those, you seen those slow motion atomic bombs where the bomb explodes, but then those rings begin to spread? Well, the opening of the door was the atomic bomb, and the ring was the aroma. And when the guy was coming, he's taking his clothes off at the door, not all of them, but he's taking most of his clothes off at the door and putting them in a bag to be washed immediately. And he looks and he says, Pastor, I'm so sorry. It's okay. And I went to shake his hands and he said, no, don't touch me. I work at a pig farm. You don't want to touch me. This parable says that the son was in the pig pen, coated with pig feces and urine, coated with saliva and all the other excrements that come out of pigs. And he was wallowing in it. His clothes were soaked with that. And he didn't change, and there was no deodorant or no nothing. As he was, he came home to be a servant, to be a slave. And God in the flesh, telling us the story, gives us the punchline. As he arose and came to his father, but when he, that son, with the stench of pigs, Still was a great way off. His father saw him, had compassion on him, ran to him, fell on his neck, and kissed him. I wouldn't even shake that guy's hand. But God hugs and kisses us. He's not put off by our sins, He's not offended. By our rebellion. God doesn't walk away from us, but we walk away from him with such a hard heart. God's compassion yearns for us, and he gives us second, fifth, tenth, a hundredth opportunity. Do you know God like this? This is a very important question, church. Do you know God like this? Because Jesus had to give this parable to a people that had had the Bible for 4,000 years and they still did not know God. They knew how to be in cahoots with Rome and make money. They knew how to collect taxes. They knew how to build enormous temples and make them beautiful. But they did not know the God that they were worshiping through that temple. So it shouldn't surprise me, it shouldn't surprise you that when the question comes, do you know who God is? That we don't have a clue. And when we get small glimpses, when we read, he had compassion, embraced him, and kissed him, Oftentimes, our knee-jerk reaction is, maybe for them, but not for me. Maybe for others, but not for me.
you are here this morning because the providence of God has brought you here this morning. And God this morning wants you to know he loves you. He loves you more than your father and your mother. Loves you more than your boyfriend or your girlfriend. That's easy to beat sometimes. Loves you more than your spouse. He loves you more than your children. He loves you enough to run to you the moment we first take steps, first begin to open our hearts, first begin to entertain the thoughts, well, maybe it is for me. Maybe it is for me. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit takes these clumsy words and you begin to realize he is speaking to me and that he is not the pastor. That he is the Holy Spirit asking you, will you come home? Will you come home and get to know your father? Will you come home and get to know God? Will you get to know God to a point where you can boast about him through the trials and temptations and sufferings that we will experience down here? Do you want to know God? I've already asked during the, the, the baptism, and we've had a sister explain and share with us that, like Isabel, she's been gone for many years, but now she's come back. We need to talk. Whatever Satan used many years ago to get you to leave, he knows it succeeded, and he'll try again. We need a church. We need someone that will study with us, pray with us, encourage us. Guilt sometimes is enough to get us back out there again. Remorse for what we've done. But being around individuals that just like you struggle, but just like you have found Jesus to be true, we need that. You need to be connected with the church. You need to start Bible studies, maybe with Frank. Don't let this conviction and this decision fade out, because it will. But I want to close asking the question, who here this morning would like to respond and say, I want to know God. I've heard things about him, but I'm starting to see that what I heard was wrong. It's different. There's someone here this morning that would like to say, I don't even know where to start, Pastor. I have good news for you. We have people that have learned and are willing to share what we've learned about God with you. I don't know everything. I'm still learning. Don't let, don't let the tide deceive you. I am still a student of who God is. But just like my little girl can look at me and on Tuesday, she'll, when she runs to me, she'll know she'll knows I'm her daddy. I know God is my father too, and I know his heart towards me. And I want you to know that heart too. If there's someone here this morning that would like to start studying the Bible to get to know God, I would like for you to stand. I would like to invite you to stand. If there's someone here this morning that wants to start studying the Bible to get to know God better, it doesn't have to be here in church, it can be in your house, it can be anywhere. Is there someone here this morning 
the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and you know and want to get to know God better. Is there someone here this morning that would like to make that decision? Or myself, or the elder? Is there someone here this morning that would like to start studying the Bible to get to know who this God that loves you is? Is there anyone here this morning that would like to make that stand? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else that throughout this imperfect message you have heard God's perfect voice speaking to you, calling you to come back, calling you to accept, calling you to start this journey of getting to know God better? Is there anyone else that would like to make that stand right now? You know, there are those of us that have wondered and our sister has stood. If you have wondered and want to come back, don't let this sermon be forgotten. Before you leave, talk to me. Talk to me. We need to stay in touch. Satan will be very busy between now and next week, so much that chances are you may not come back again. You need to hear from God. You need to understand who he is. Lastly, Ephesians says to come to know the love of God that passes knowledge. I want to know God better. I want to know God more. And I want to invite you, if that, was, if that is something you want to be your prayer this morning. Lord, I want to know you more. I don't want to be neglectful with my prayer life. I don't want to be careless with my devotional life. And I'm sorry if I have, but I don't want to. Give me grace to be consistent. Give me grace to spend time with you in your word, because I want to know you more. I would like to invite you to come forward and let us pray together as a church family. If you want to know God more than what you know now, I'd like to invite you to come forward and tell the Lord, Father, I've learned quite a bit, but I want to know you more. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.